Welcome to the Death Dialogues Project podcast. The Death Dialogues Project is a grassroots movement with an aim of getting conversations of death, dying, and the aftermath out of the closet and into the light. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of tragedy and triumph and breaking down and rebuilding lives, and we also frequently hear glimpses into the great beyond. We are so glad you're joining us on our journey. So sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Today, I'd like to give a huge thanks and welcome to Heike Mertens, who's an author, a blogger, and speaker about grief, grieving, and recovery. She is the author of the beautiful book, Grief Is... Thoughts on Loss, Struggle, and New Beginnings, which chronicles her journey through the bizarre, frustrating, and at times humorous world of incomprehensible loss. Following the death of her brother and husband, Heike began to document the process of loss, emotion, and healing that accompanies a momentous life change. Today, Heike unpacks her journey for us in more detail, and we also hear how Just after her brother and her husband died, she began the caretaking journey of her mother and father, who also then died soon thereafter. Heike brings a unique view and is a wonderful conversationalist, and I know that you will enjoy listening to her. And hey, she says to tell you that if you go to order her book and it says that it is sold out, go on and purchase it and you'll receive it within seven to ten days. Sit back. Enjoy this conversation with this person, and I think you would love getting your hands on her book that she wrote during the different stages of her grief and very short snippets that really spoke to my heart when I picked it up. Welcome. I am pleased to have Heike Mertens with us today on this today's episode of the Death Dialogues Project podcast. And Heike, if you wouldn't mind sharing with people where you are in the world and just taking off with your story. Really appreciate that. Thank you so much for stepping up to do this. We really appreciate it. Hi, Becky. Thanks. Um, It's a great opportunity for me to do this with you too, because this is my artwork now. So Ontario in Canada um, <laughs> you would think it would be warmer by this time of year, but unfortunately, we're still in the single digits, which is in Celsius. Wow. And in Fahrenheit, it's about 35 or 36 today. So on that happy note, at least it's <laughs> sunny, which is good. Um, I guess that'll be my segue into, you know, why, why I, I contacted you about telling my story and why I think it's, a, it's an important story to tell. Um, so I have a grief story. I like to talk about it as my grief story, um, as part of my life story and not my entire life story. Mm. Um, and it started, yeah, yeah, it took a while to get my head around that. Yeah. (laughs) I like that timing. Yes. So, um, so it started probably in July of 2009 and my brother phoned to say that he had, uh, cancer um and uh, it was kidney cancer so uh you know if you're gonna have cancer it's apparently one of the better ones to have uh unfortunately his was very aggressive and he passed away 18 months later um and eight days later my husband had uh his first seizure and uh we weren't sure what was going on but three weeks later we found out that he had an inoperable brain tumor and he died 18 months after my brother. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. And um, then, uh, so that was in July 2012. And then in the fall, uh, my parents' uh, health took another turn for the worst. They had, you know, both started to experience or I guess feel their age, but, you know, and to decline as my brother was ill, um, because I think that's just so hard on a parent. Um, and so my dad started having, uh, episodes where he was in and out of the hospital a lot. And, you know, the first one I think was October, maybe of 2012. 
and uh, he had um, intestinal bleeds. And so there were several instances where we weren't sure whether or not he was going to make it. Uh, but he did hold on until November 2016. Um, and during this time, my mother, uh, her forgetfulness um, turned into, you know, real dementia. And we, <laughs> we shuffled houses and all kinds of things, sold their place, moved them into a retirement place where they were independent for a while. And then my dad was separated from my mother um, and uh, within the same facility, at least. And then eventually he was in another facility. Um, and as her dementia increased, eventually they were both in the same um, long-term care facility, which was certainly more convenient. But at the same time, it's a very, very hard way to watch people decline. And she died three months after my dad. So in February 2017. And two weeks prior to that, I had to put my dog down. <laughs> wow. so, so it was a lot of loss um, for a long time. And, you know, one of the things that I, I realize now is that there are many different types of grief, you know, and I've blogged a little bit about this. And I think certainly, you know, there's the grief that comes when someone dies. And there's also the grief when you watch them lose, you know, their vitality and whatever else it is that they're losing as they're deteriorating, you know. So there was always some sort of portion, I think, or version of grief that really kind of existed in my life for the better part of um, seven years. Over I can't seven imagine years. So. that you actually... Yeah, we're able to to process. You know, for instance, you know, you you go through the process with your brother, and then so quickly find out about your husband. I mean, how how did you hold all that? What did you find that your grief with your brother was somewhat delayed because then you were putting energy into your husband? How did that work for you? I think it was. You know, I think um, you know, I did. When, when my brother passed, I, you know, and, you know, my husband was diagnosed, we were actually hopeful that he was going to be one of the people who, you know, we're always hopeful, right? right. We're going to be the outliers. Right. You know, we're, we've been outliers in a lot of different ways, my husband and I in our lives. So we were like, well, this will be the good one, right? right. Um, and so I was doing some, some, I was part of a grief walking group at that point in time because I had been one of my brother's caregivers. Um, and that's actually the role I played in all of those, in, you know, different deaths. Um, and I had the POA for my parents as well as for my husband. I want to just um, stop right there. Heike, having walked in those shoes, I am bowing to you. I mean, we say the word caregiver so lightly. It is oh, no. so <laughs> immense when it's your love, isn't it? It is. Wow. It is. And I think it's your love that carries you through those really, really hard, exhausting moments. I think it's it's a sacred space in some ways. And, uh, and you know, the thing is that's, oh, my goodness, my grief voice is showing up. There we go. So early on already, <laughs> Becky. Sorry. Um, Sorry about that. No, it's perfect. You know, it's, it's actually great because I tell people, I sometimes go and I speak with small groups of people um, and you know, trying to do more of that. But uh, basically, um, especially if I'm talking with people who are who themselves are grieving and going through grief group work themselves, um, that it's this is my grief voice. And um, it does exactly what you just saw, which is like, it comes up, my throat thickens, you can hear the tears are starting to well in my eyes. And, um, and then I say, but watch, I'm going to keep talking, and it's going to go right back to normal. <laughs> mm. And when I first caught this, it was like with a couple of, you know, friends who would ask me questions and I would have to say, and, you know, and it's funny because people are very, especially if they haven't lo had loss, they, they don't really know what to say or do. And because, you know, I was 48 turning 49 when my husband died uh -huh. and I was 45, almost 46 when my brother got sick. It's not the ages where a lot of people in my group have had these types of experiences right um so you know they want to be there for you but you know they're looking at you and you're usually this kind of together person and you know your voice is doing this and tears are coming and they're like you know <laughs> i think sometimes they look like they want to take off and sometimes they want they want to hug you but they're really not sure if that's going to help right yes, so yes. 
So when I realized that my voice would keep talking and go back to normal, it was like this massive relief because I could tell them that. Mm. So now I tell people, this is your grief voice. The same way if you have, you know, a child, you talk to them in a different way. If you're happy and excited about something, your voice goes in another direction. If you're thinking about something lovely like a wedding or whatever, it doesn't really matter. We just change. So why on earth do we not have a grief voice? We do have a grief voice. We just don't know it's there until it comes. And because we don't understand grief, it's like another surprise. Mm. So let's circle back now that we've dealt with my grief voice. Yes, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And... um, talk about uh yeah the caregiver piece it's really hard and it's a sacred space you know but there's so much love you know and it's like I'm always you know I I think that some people do look at it as a burden but I always speak up and say you know what it was a gift to me it was Mm -hmm. a gift to me to be there for these people who I loved yes it's you know it's a space where almost all these things that we think are so important that we must do fall away and we realize the most important thing that we do is loving one another and to be there for one another and there's so much love in that space it's just I, it blew me away, you know, and and so I understand that there's great sorrow, but there's also great love um, when you take that role on. So, I started calling it the real, capitalized. The real, yeah. I mean, mm. there's so much superficiality in our lives, and you know, we're there for each other in ways that that, that are important. But once you are there for a person in that way, that's showing up for the real yeah it is it is and sometimes I think um we're welcome in that space and sometimes we're not and I think we have to it's a dance thing you you use the word dance I think on your on your blog or on your website and I thought oh we're speaking the same language Mm. because it's not straightforward it really is kind of like it's moving and it's organic and and grief does the same thing you know the dying part absolutely you know um and then I think in a different way when we talk about supporting grieving people. And as we so, always have to say, I mean, no judgment on people that just can't walk into that space, you know, because for some, no. they're just too tender or too, you know, they're just not prepared to. And that that's cool. That's fine. You know, it does, it is. no judgment there. No, absolutely not. Um, no, absolutely not. You know, I never know if that's one of the, you know, you never know what somebody else is carrying. No. Um, and so I just kind of go, you know what? I don't know why they can or can't do that. Um, I can only tell you what I can do. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I have faith in people in general that they're going to do what they can do. Yes. And, and that's how it is. That's just how it is. So it is. The real is a good term. So, um, yeah, so that was, so, so, so I did talk about everybody who died and my dog. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. the dog was really hard. You know, people go, and I go, I go, because the dog was the last piece of my old life. Yeah. So it was kind of like, and that's kind of the surprising thing that sometimes happens with grief is that you, you think you're, you're doing great and then something will come out of left field and you're like, whoa I didn't see that coming right you know um so that was really sad and it's and it's funny when you talk about the delayed grief piece because that also comes you know this is my first year in over 25 years that I've done just my own taxes (laughs) and in the process I went back to the things you know you usually do you go back and you pull out old ones and you start to shred them and um as I did that uh I I came across some old checks and it was, uh, it's, it's something I've written on, but, you know, I'll, I'll share it with you here because I haven't published it. Um, they were checks from my parents, you know, and it's such a funny thing to become your parents' caregiver. And my father was very much, you know, head of the house. And the checks were in his name and in my mom's name. And then he went blind um, as part of his, you know, deterioration. And... Um, 
so his names were taken off the checks because we decided it wasn't a good idea if he wrote anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is a conversation. It's a funny, not a good one to have, but you have to have it. Um, and then my mom's name and my name was there. And then at the end, you're running so hard, right? You know, for like you think about the seven years, you, it doesn't really stop, right? And so, no, you don't have the space to really sit back and grieve and, and completely collapse. It kind of shows up and then it goes back under because you're dealing with the crisis in front of you. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like sitting here sobbing because I'm looking at these checks and they have just my name on them and they're from my parents' account, mm-hmm. you know. And that's the thing, I think, when we have multiple losses or we're called to do other things and we don't grieve is that things will come forward at times. And then we, it's, it's, it's a good thing not just to feel the sorrow of everything that transpired, but to be able to go back and look at that and go, that was really hard. Yeah. You know, I couldn't recognize that that was really hard at that time because I just did what I knew had to be done to get to the next. Yeah. But to see it in writing. Within that timeline of grief, all of those losses, where was it when you, when did you start writing? Um, I started writing uh, when I was still in Waterloo, which is where I lived with my husband. Um, And I started because I found that there were things that were so baffling to me and I couldn't understand them. And I thought maybe if I put them on paper, they would make sense. You know, I've, I've been a writer since I was a kid and I spent a lot of time doing, you know, research and analysis as an adult for different things. And I just thought, you know, this is how I kind of, I'm visual. If I can draw it out or write it out, then I can usually understand it. Um, Cause I can go, okay, that's what it is. Um, so that's how I started. Was it, um, was it, it after your husband and before your parents or? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it was after my husband, um, all the entries in my book are really from before my parents passed. Okay. Um, you know, I actually had the opportunity to read some of the draft to, you know, them before they died, um, shortly before they died. Um, so that was good. <laughs> it came out sweet, yeah. that, you know, the end of the year that my mom passed. Uh, but um, so that's really where they're all from. So they're really, I'd say, probably from the first three years, maybe somewhere in there. And um, a lot of it in the first two. There's not all my journal writings. This is not like my full journal. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, um, I wrote and then, you know, I, you would find again and I read it and eventually I said, I have to throw this away because this is not doing me any good. And there's some things that I just, you know, um, I think you learn to put up boundaries to keep yourself safe mm-hmm. over certain memories, right? So you don't have to share everything. Um, so these were things, though, that I did want to share because I thought, back to where I was writing. So that's how it started. It started with me just writing for myself. Um, and then I started to wonder if some of the people in my grief walking group were having similar um, things happening to them, <laughs> similar weird stuff happening. Mm-hmm. So I would go to my walking group and I would ask one or two of them, have you ever heard of this happening? I wasn't even willing to own it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I, it that's how freaked out it was. Because it is very, very odd, you know, to, for somebody, for me, you know, who'd always been able to think my way out of this, to not be able to do this, to find myself doing stuff like going to appointments on the wrong day. Um, I was like, you just kept going, what's going on? Um, and, you know, sometimes, you know, you, you need somebody else who's going through it, as you said earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they would say, oh, yeah, that's happening to me, or hasn't happened to me, but this has, or I've heard of that happening. And I thought if I didn't start at some point, I realized if I didn't start asking that question, I would have felt like I was the only person going through this. Right. Even though I was doing, you know, my grief counseling and whatnot, you you can't talk about everything in an hour of grief counseling Mm -hmm. (laughs) because so much stuff goes on all the time. And it was at that point, you know, and I'd already written a whole bunch of stuff. I thought, I wonder if I would, you know, turn this. I think I might have done one or two little blog entries on it. And then I thought, you know, maybe what if I turned it into um, a book and 
then people who didn't have like wonderful, you know, grief walking companions in order who could, you could ask the question to, they could pick it up and, you know, flip through it and say, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's kind of happening with me. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Nope. I, you know, you know, and that's, that was, and I thought that's a really good thing. And especially for men who don't always like to go to grief groups or talk or whatever, just to give them to know that they're not alone. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, and that's, and that was for me, I thought that would, that would be my, that would be my main goal um, just to ease that a little bit. Uh, and the other piece was that I hoped that people who hadn't experienced loss might read it um, and have a better understanding of the things that go on and to realize that this is normal. This is, this is normal stuff that happens when you're grieving. Uh, and it's not really that out there right. because just to somehow legitimize it. Uh, because I, I think a lot of people, if you haven't had loss, they don't understand. You know, there's one piece, and I wonder if that's the one that we were talking about before we started. And I think it may be um, from the book, and I might just pull that out and read it. Um, so the book is organized. I just want to explain this beforehand it, into three different sections. So if I pull something out and read it, I'll tell you what section it's in. Yep. Be- and it's set up that way because, well, in part because when I sent all this, these, these journal articles to the publisher, they were kind of like, it needs some structure. Mm-hmm, <laughs> it's, you know, and, and I was like, well, it is messy because grief is messy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I didn't really want to give it structure because I wanted it to kind of be like, but this is what it is. Uh, Can I just I really... interject with that right for mm-hmm. just one small bit, which is mm-hmm. it is a perfectly outlined for grief brain. I love that you, I love that it's your stories. You know, I love that it's just all you, what you think, what, but the fact that you can pick it up, and look anywhere, you know, you don't have to read it in order and it's not huge. The, the sections, no. you know, so I literally can pick it up and read, you know, a few paragraphs or a paragraph and sit it back down and pick it up and look at something else. I think, you know, I don't know if you were trying to be so brilliant, but I think that's about I it. actually was. I was going <laughs> to say, thank you so much for noticing. I didn't think yeah. you were so brilliant, but it was kind of, because I knew when I was grieving that I couldn't really take a lot of information in. Mm. Um, and uh, I couldn't read for a long time. Or even if I read, you know, I'd zone out or I wouldn't remember. And so when I put it together, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted it to be small pieces so that somebody who was grieving could pick it up and read one thing and go, okay. And just feel a little bit more solid in the world. Yeah. Um, and I wanted it. And I broke it into the three sections, you know, the terrible, awful beginning, the messy middle and the livable, lasting, non-ending. And I did that because I wanted that if you were having a bad day, you could either read in the beginning and kind of go, okay, other people have bad days. It's not just me. It's going to be okay. Um, Or you could flip to the back and go, oh, it does get a little bit easier. That's good to know. Right. Right. Or if you're further down in your grief journey, um, the idea was that, you know, if you if you just all of a sudden had a bad day, you could pick it up, maybe read from the beginning and go, I'm not quite where I was at that point in time. This is good to know I've actually moved forward. Yeah. So so it was actually kind of designed to do that. So that's so great that you picked it up. (laughs) Yeah. And the big piece with that is just reading it and saying, okay, it's not just me. mm -hmm. You know, yeah. 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 So, and and I've heard that people are using it in that way. So that's very exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, Oh, good. (laughs) Cause you never know when you do come of these, they're the leap of faith, right? They just are. So, um, so are you going to read that bit for us? I am. I'm going to read, uh, from it's, it's in the first section and the first section, Oh, maybe it's in the mist. Oh, you, you know, that one you talked about 56 is actually in the messy middle. Um, um, well, I think you should start in the terrible. Uh, the you know, terrible when I edited beginning. this, I'll tell you something. When I edited this, because you, when you, you don't write a book, you rewrite it, you rewrite it, you rewrite it. Um, and uh, not the text, but you just kind of reorganize. And anyways, and clean up all the time. And 
I, the beginning was so hard for me sometimes to edit that I would start editing from the back of the book and move forward. Mm, <laughs> so smart. it's like, so yeah, well, I had to because I wasn't getting it done. <laughs> mm. So, so to go back to the beginning is kind of a funny thing. Um, but it's, yeah, to start there, it's where you start, but it's also a hard space. Mm. So um, this is one of the ones uh, that I think is good from the beginning. Um, when we grieve, especially in the early days, we feel nothing but grief. We feel exhausted because not only are we grieving, we also let ourselves become the receptacle of others' grief. They come to us because they too are hurting, and we welcome them. They share our pain, but then they are gone, returning to their everyday lives, and we're left with our pain, theirs, and no everyday life to return to. Mm. Mm. Huge. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a space it's a hard hard space to live in. Mm. You know, it's you know, this this is a very short grief is walking in land mind fields never knowing where they will be or if they will be triggered. Yeah. It's yes. <laughs> it's, Amen, it's, sister, is that better? <laughs> yeah. No, I Yeah. Like you said, uh we were, we were chatting a bit earlier, just you just don't know around what corner can be a trigger yeah no no stuff just shows up and especially in the early days it's a lot of triggers a lot and then of even surprisingly a little bit down the road as well like like i you know okay this is neatly packed for today you know oh okay this and then yeah. and then something sideswipes you that, oh for sure yeah yeah Wow. For sure. And you, you just don't, you don't, you, you don't know it's coming. I think that's, um, that has been one of the most challenging things t- for me to learn to live with is um, that these things will probably always come. Right. Exactly. And, yeah. And that I just, I'm at a place now that it doesn't freak me out. Um, I'm not saying oh, well, why isn't this ended yet? I'm now in a place where I look at it and I go, okay, this is this memory and this is a really hard memory. And then if I just sit with it, I can find that I just, it will do what it needs to do and I will do what I need to do and then I will start up again and I will continue on. So it's... I, I Can I just comment too, there's... And I'm sure you've gotten this and, and I get this too about, uh, you know, but why, why talk about this stuff? We've been so programmed to pack it up and put it away. And, and I would just say, this is a good time to just share with people. One of the reasons is that if you don't acknowledge it when it comes up, and if you don't look at it for what it is, and if you don't feel those feelings, it will come up in other ways and other ways look like uh, a migraine headache or panic attacks or mm-hmm. um, anger, easily triggered anger at your family or at your, or total spaciness at your workplace and, and effective. So, so it's a big myth that, you know, that we're stirring things up talking about it. When in fact, oh. you know what I'm saying, you know, yeah. No, you, you no, no. That. You roll with that. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. You know, one of the, the reasons that I wanted to publish the book, um, because, you know, you, you have these inner dialogues the whole time that you're doing this, because it really is very personal, um, was because uh, my background, as I said earlier, is, you know, is, is kind of this, you know, analytical research kind of person. And I tried to research grief. <laughs> I tried to create the plans. I tried to check all the boxes and still I felt, you know, like I had been hit by a truck, you know, it was so hard and it was debilitating. And then when I couldn't solve this in three months, I felt like I was failing. And when I couldn't fit, you know, figure this out in six months, I was like, felt like, you know, have I still not read enough? Have I not looked at enough videos? You know, why can I not figure this out? And, and it was terrible. It was like a terrible place to be in. And then all of a sudden I realized that, you know, as I was starting to write these things for myself, 
that the problem for me was that I was using this intellectual problem solving process for a process that is not only very human, but is experiential. So you can't think your way out of it. You cannot make a plan for it. Um, all those things you, you know, maybe somebody can, but I certainly couldn't. And, you know, I was just kind of setting myself up to fail and then failing, fail again and just feel bad. And then I got kind of mad that I couldn't find a book that really talked about all these things that were going on. You know, it would be things like they would say, you will be tired and you will be lethargic, but nothing says you will have, you will lie on the couch and it will take all your strength to go from the couch to the fridge and then come back and lie to the couch. You know, I've had people tell me that they had to lie on the floor to talk to people. That's how physically demanding this, this type of work is. Yeah. Um, you know, they would say, Oh, you'll be, you know, disoriented. Well, disoriented is one thing, but coming to a stop sign because all your focus is on driving safely and you have to stop for a minute and think where you're going, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. where am I going again? Right. Okay. And then you proceed to the next one, full concentration out, you know, it's, and then you end up in counseling and they, they, you say, you know, this kind of, and they go, Oh, that happens all the time, mm -hmm. you know, or yeah, people go to the wrong appointment all the time. You know, I would say to people, okay, we've got plans for this day. Make sure you call me on the day. Make sure you call me a few hours later <laughs> yeah. to remind me again, because I just couldn't. And we know, like, you know, now we know that the amygdala looks like it shrinks, right? And that's the thinking part of your brain and you're being flooded with cortisol, right? Mm -hmm. So there isn't anybody who hasn't, you know, come up to me at one point or another and said, yeah, like freaky things were happening. I'm so glad freaky things happened to you too. <laughs> yeah. You know, not in so many words, but I was like, yes. So that was that other piece. So when we talk about not stirring it up, no, we're just kind of pulling the curtain back on this. And we're yeah. saying, this is actually what it is. And just because you don't know that doesn't mean that's not how it is. Yeah. And really, it would be great if, you know, you could take a look at that. And even if you don't fully understand that you could accept that this is reality, you know, so and, and we have a lot of work to do around that. You know, I'm always excited when more people uh, are, are showing up, you know, podcasts or, you know, or some article somebody will send me or something on Instagram. And I and I'm, you know, I hope that there are people out there who are looking at it who are not only the grieving, though I think it's wonderful to be out there for the grieving because when all this started for me, there really was nothing. <laughs> right. um, no, really. So it was, it was a very uh, intellectual approach to grieving and to witness. You know, the witness was the big piece, and it is a big piece. But I think another big piece is that if you can understand that grief is not something that is resolved in three months, six months, or a year, that maybe you can be, offer practical help. Yes. to people rather than getting on with your life, you know, um, and thinking, okay, they're back at work or they put 10 pounds back on and they, you know, Oh, look on Facebook, they went out with their child somewhere. <laughs> you know, it, it, I love, you know, I love in your book that the 10 pounds was put on. Well, I don't love it. It's actually, <laughs> but that you put your weight back on with fudge sickles and red wine. Little did they know oh, yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, little did they know. Well, I told her, but I don't think she really believed me when that woman commented that I looked better because yeah. I'd gained weight. So, but uh, yeah. Absolutely. Isn't I wouldn't recommend it. But on the other hand, I would. Right. Right. <laughs> because that's what I needed at that moment in time. That's where my comfort was. There yeah. and you know, <laughs> it's not a good comfort. But you know, we call it my girlfriend jokes and we, we call it the widow's diet. <laughs> yeah. Well, so. I think it's so important and you know, we know that there's a lot more work out there too that's starting to focus on paradigm busting the whole get through get to the other side because we were really programmed that with that our generation of mm -hmm. children and coming up in the world and that's the languaging you heard and mm -hmm. uh your book is helping us and your story is helping us as many movements are helping us right now understand um and and you know it is because we're talking that's the total difference before it, it was how can i keep this in, in a container 
and justify it. You know, it, how does this make sense to justify it? The bottom line is, is that we are more open. We're, you know, we understand the benefits of talking. And with that exploration, as you so eloquently said earlier, you know, this restructures who we are as people. It changes our brain. It changes our heart. It changes how we walk in the world. There is nothing to get through. No, no. There's it's, no you know... other side. I mean, yeah, we want to feel like we are, can function better, etc. But, you know, pieces of this will flare with us, to flare, flare and present themselves, you know, till the day that we die. Absolutely. And um, I, I think I'm a better person for this. Uh, not that I would have wished to have gone through any of this. No. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't wish it on my worst, you know, enemy. Not that I don't think I have any, but on, on anybody, I just, I just wouldn't wish it on anybody because it was so really awful. That's why it's called the terrible, awful beginning. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's allowed me to uh, step back and to be more compassionate for sure, but also maybe, but also less judgmental. And I, I think for me, the biggest piece being, as I say, I think, uh, this thinking personality is to really learn to check in with my heart because, you know, the experiential piece, if your brain's not working, it's your heart that's leading. Yeah. And your heart has to lead you through this, you know, and it's, you know, the love that, that carried you through whatever you went through. And it's the love of your friends who surround you and help you as you continue to take the next step forward. Um, that those, those, all those things come from the heart. And I, I feel that I, I lead more with my heart now than I ever did in my life, you know, and I'm, you know, I, my name Heike, right. It's I'm of German descent. You know, uh, my parents both went through the war uh, you know, we always talk about carry on and that whole kind of piece. Um, and we, I was certainly was, you know, not only raised to be logical and rational, that's, those are the skills that I used to work my way through life. And then all of a sudden find myself in a place where none of them were applicable. Yes. So it was, so I feel like I have more tools now, um, but, but it's, it's been a long way to get here. I think I'm probably going to continue to learn. Um, and as you said, it's not something that, that ends. It's something that we take with us, that we carry with us. Uh, it becomes easier. And I think it becomes easier before it becomes better. And I think when it becomes better, it's a different better than we could ever have thought of mm. or dreamed of. Mm. Um, it just has to be because you can't go back to what you used to think was better because now you have this new knowledge that somehow has to be part of who you are because it is part of who you are. Yes. So. Um, Maybe you've taken us to the middle. Would you like to read something? From I the did. I did. So this is the middle piece. This is when you're talking about. And it's kind of funny because because it does sound like you're still at the beginning. But I guess when you realize how bad it is at the beginning, this is the middle. <laughs> <laughs> so we do what we need to do. Grief is running away. I suspect this holds true for everyone who has experienced a great loss. For those who have unfortunately experienced more than one loss, either at the same time or within a short period, running away or escaping is even more important. We flee because we want to survive. The turmoil and pain that comes with grief makes us have to run away because standing still in the middle of the torrential downpour makes us feel as if we are drowning, sinking, and melting into a puddle on the floor. Escaping takes us though only temporarily to a place where we can breathe, where there is light. The irony is that when we feel better, we are quickly reminded of our loss and we feel worse. It's like the world's worst mood swing. One moment we're laughing, the next we're remembering the nightmare that is our lives. The only difference between feeling like this back home or away from home is that by being away, we aren't continuously bombarded by memories of what used to be. The gift that was purchased for our beloved's birthday, seeing a mutual friend, hearing a shared favorite song, or not having someone walk through the door at the end of the day. 
When you're away, there may still be emotional triggers that set you off, but there will be far fewer of them. It's why phrases such as, she's spending the life insurance money, or now that she's gone, he's free to do as he pleases, are so misleading and hurtful. Traveling is, is in many ways just an alternative and somewhat healthier way of coping than drinking oneself to sleep on a nightly basis. When we grieve, we are in pain, and escaping or taking a holiday from the intensity of the pain is a good thing. It does not belittle how we felt about our beloved ones or that we are enjoying our newfound freedom. It is a testament that our loved ones were so loved that we feel compelled to run away from the pain that comes from losing them. Beautiful. It speaks to the truth, you know, that people blame themselves for. And as much as you, you know, we need to acknowledge the feelings. We have to acknowledge also that we do run away. And sometimes that's functional for us. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the best thing, mm -hmm. you know, it is, yeah. it's like, rather than sitting in a space that's not a healthy space, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's crazy in a way, like, as, as I'm thinking this through with you right now, as I'm, as, as I'm talking to you, we wouldn't say to somebody, you know, oh, you don't deserve, deserve a holiday from work, you know, you, you know, you're working seven days a week, or mm -hmm. you're working, you know, 60 hours a week, you should take a break. Mm -hmm. But there is no break from grief right? Yeah. It just kind of, it envelops you. It just kind of surrounds you and you're taking it with you day in and day out. And so if you have a little bit of a reprieve, because it's never a full reprieve, it's not like you're grief with you if you're somewhere escaping. Um, mm -hmm. But it's a little bit easier if you're walking on a beach and it's something lovely and you don't have these constant reminders, or maybe you don't have to deal with the paperwork. Because there's an awful lot of paperwork when someone dies. <laughs> mm. um, you know, it really takes almost a year at least to sort everything out. Mm. So you can't really kind of just go, well, you know, it's done now. You know, and that's, that's a big thing when I talk about, you know, the moving on versus moving forward, you know, and how we have to change not just the ideas, but we have to change the language of grief. Mm. Um, because that changes how we look at it and how we will perceive it. Mm -hmm. So that would be it's important thing there. So I recently did a, a little scheduled vacation. I actually put it up on my Instagram story for, I think it was, you know, for 24 hours or for however long, 48 hours, I'm just going to pretend a thing called death doesn't exist. And, um, and did that, you know, tried to, and obviously um, you know, so, so what did that look like for me? It was because I am immersed in this project and I'm a deep feeler. And so hearing your story and hearing other people's stories, it does tug up my heart and it brings up memories sure. of my loved ones. And, um, you know, so there's a lot of self-care that goes into holding this kind of space and continuing to do it. So, you know, I really just like, didn't do any of that work for that period of time and just didn't look at anything and I was, it was late at night and I was watching Netflix, which I don't usually do. And I can't remember what it was, but it was some lovely, something lovely. And at the very end of it, they played You Are My Sunshine, which was mm. the song my mother sang to all of us and to all the grandkids. <sighs> and I just burst out in tears. I'm lying in my bed, just racked with sobs and I was like well very <laughs> that shows how that works you know and it was, it was, <laughs> I was like going, example, uh, you so know. you're like mad hey wait a minute did you not get the memo right um yeah no and and when you know you picked that song right? that's the one you said because when I sang that to my my parents are are, are immigrants they they came over in 1960 but my grandmother my maternal grandmother was British and she used to sing that song to my mother but when she was little, but my mother, she, she sang German songs to us as kids. Oh. And I had learned that song as a teenager. And when I had my daughter, I sang it to her. And my mother said, my mother used to sing that to me. Oh. I brought that up. <laughs> so here we have another trigger. So absolutely, you know, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's holding 
these memories in a space and I, I, I'm learning to do this and I, I'm, I'm so I, and I, and I use the word learning because I'm sure I haven't mastered it where it's two things. Yeah. Where it's on the one hand, I'm so grateful to have that memory. Right. And on the other hand, there's a piece of sadness because it's done. Right. Yeah. But it's not done because now we'll sing it to the next generation. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's that both, you know, how can this be, you know, how can I be so happy all of a sudden and then be so sad? Well, that's what happens. It's and messy. I think it gives you permission. That little example gives you permission to go ahead, fake yourself out, take a break, you know, pretend, oh, yeah. pretend people didn't die for a little bit. Because, you know, if you can get into that space for a little while, you know, give yourself a metaphysical shower, you know, of relief and, oh, and I'm going to look at the world a little different. You know, don't worry. That's not turning your back on your no. loves, it will come up. <laughs> it will come up again. Yeah, it's yeah. not going away. <laughs> it's not going to go away. No. Yeah. So no, no. And it's self-care. You're absolutely right. And I do the same thing too. You know, when I write, there's there'll be times where I'll intentionally won't read write anything that has to do with grief or, you know, <laughs> all the things that I've lived through in, you know, by caring for these people and all all the challenges that went with that. Um, because there's a lot of things I think we can do better, you know, mm -hmm. not just in talking about grief and about death, but also in the caregiving role. Um, Absolutely. So, I, and I think, you know, it's starting to perk up a little, uh, but we've got a lot of work to do, you know, a lot of work to do. Um, so, so, but yeah, so I have to take the break and, and it's great that you told that. I thought you were going to tell me I took a technology break, but no, you didn't take a technology. You took a grief break. So mm. that's good. Mm. That's a good healthy. It's a hard stop. Sometimes. Yeah. I go hard stop. Nothing on that today. We're done. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, no. And it's good. It's, I'm glad you're saying it that way. Cause yeah, sometimes you just have to say it or, you yeah. know, it, declare it, not just like, Oh, I need a break. No, this is, this is the break right here. This is it. This yeah. is it. And to learn to do that. And it, you know, it's very hard. I think when you're grieving, cause you're so tired. So you have a child, right? I have a child. I have, I have a daughter, uh, with my late husband and he had two sons from previous relationships and I have a four-year-old grandson now. Oh, wow. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 So was uh, your daughter out of the home at the time that your husband was unwell? Um, it was. I mean, you living with what? you, was she living with you anymore? She was living with us. And uh, this is one of the things when I talk about the caregiving and whatnot, um, it became so you know, the, the care when you're caring for somebody who is so ill is so intense that you can't really give your kids the support that you want to give them. And she was a teenager at that time, which is not good for anybody under the best of circumstances. And these were probably some of the worst of circumstances. So um, she spent some time living with um, the daughter-in-law. One of, one of our daughter-in-laws, uh, in, in trying to get her to kind of keep her routine. Uh, it's really her story. So I'm always kind of funny about what to say, but I think she would probably have no problem in me saying that she kind of, you know, she, she got very lost. She was a daddy's girl and she was 17 when her dad died and we were all there, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it was, he died at home. Um, and, uh, and, and I think it was, it was, it was so difficult for her. It was so really, really difficult that she just kind of, she spiraled in all kinds of directions. You know, we talk about, you know, running away and, and, you know, trying to, to cope and, and, you know, it, it's just, it's very, very hard. And you see, they, you know, she saw a lot of things that were difficult to see, you know, when you're caring for somebody as a brain tumor and you're dealing with yes. chemotherapy and, you know, you are, you know, at one point we did a three week stint in one of the hospitals um, after a second um, craniotomy uh, so it was and we weren't at home we were in another city so it's it's so it's so hard it's so very very difficult um, so she did move out um, and she moved in with her boyfriend at the time and uh, yeah it was not that you know she's now 24 and, and I'm so proud of how hard she has 
worked to bring herself to where she is. Mm. Um, you know, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a feminist and, and, uh, there's another granddaughter from one of the older boys, but Oliver belongs to my daughter and her, her birth control failed. She was on that, you know, so we talked about being an outlier and you always think you're going to be an outlier and this is going to be good. Well, she was an outlier and she was like that 1% where your birth control fails, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? And so here she was at 19 and she thought like she was just pulling things together. And instead she found herself pregnant and with all the loss that she had, I think she just, she decided she, and you know, I, people, people say to me sometimes, wow, you know, and I go, I have learned to let go. I have just learned mm-hmm. that there are worse things in the world mm-hmm. that we worry about. Um, and bringing a child into the world, you know, even at 19, um, was not the worst thing I've lived through. You know? Right. Uh, you know, I, at that point already, I, failing parents, you know, dead brother, dead husband, daughter who's struggling. Um, It is like, okay, maybe this will be the piece that will actually bind things together and help her move forward. And, and, and she has support, you know, that's the other piece of it. She has support. And if you have the support, I think that, you know, and people come in, family comes in and friends come in, then, then you can do these things. Um, So, yeah, she, so she ended up, yeah, she moved out and made a lot of decisions that did not make her life easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, is still, you know, doing, uh, you know, I think she's doing okay. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, yeah, she's, you know, I, I, a friend of mine always says, life's a long game if we're lucky. And where we are at, you know, 19 is not where we're going to be at 29 or 39 or 49. Mm-hmm. And she has certainly come a long way um, in, in these last four years. Well, so, I can certainly, under, you're just taking me back to my brother, which I don't know if you knew, but he died of brain cancer as well and was home. And we had the hospital bits in between and he had um, young a teenage daughter and son whose son was just off at college, but I'm just being thrown back into that, listening to what you're saying. I just want you to know my heart's with that process with you. That's a, it's a tough one. It's a tough one for teenagers to witness. Um, uh, Yeah. It's a tough one for everybody to witness, but I can't, I don't have words for it right now, but I just want you to know my heart's with you (laughs) and that back there in that time, in that moment and understanding those challenges. Yeah. That's an awesome thing to say. Mm. That's what I, that's one of the things I say. I say, you know what, you know, my, my heart is with you or, Mm. you know, I I feel that in my heart or, you know, uh, a friend's husband died earlier this week. And I, I just, you know, sent her a message and said, my heart broke a little for, for, for your heart today. Yeah. Because I remember how awful that day was. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Wow. So <laughs> happy we, stuff. But our, we move forward. We move forward. And, that's and, where and we learn in. that this is part of life, right? Yeah. This is part of it. So, and, yeah. and it's, it's okay. And it's better. It's better when somebody says to you, I hear that, you know, my, you know, I, my heart understands what you're saying. Right. Cause you go, awesome. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Then so take this. if if we could look a little bit now, Heike, at um, because I'm looking at our time, at uh, what life. So we have the messy middle, and then we have. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find the title of the last bit. The yeah. livable, lasting, non-ending. Yeah. I have a lovely one, which is, which is, you know, I like it. It's one of my favorites. It's moving forward, but not moving on. Thank you. Um, that yes, yeah. it is. So I, I, yeah, I have written a little bit about this um, on my blog, uh, but this is the piece that I put in my book. And this is where I started with it. And it's uh, learning to live again is the, the theme that runs through this one. Learning to live again is not about moving on. At one time or another, someone will say something stupid like, it's time you moved on, or I see you're moving on. Mm-hmm. Though, one's gut re- <laughs> yeah. 
Though one's gut reaction is to glare, we must forgive their ignorance. They don't know that moving on suggests closing the door on what was, as if it could ever be so neatly created up and left behind. They have yet to learn that moving forward is not the same as moving on. Moving forward involves accepting on some level that what has been is no longer, and then consciously deciding we want to have happy lives again. To move forward is to create a new way of living that I make up as I go along, a life that I hope will again be filled with love, joy, and laughter, plus tears and sorrow, because I get this now. That is moving forward. Wow. That is, that is beautiful. That frames it in a beautiful way. And I just want to say that it brings up for me, I know sometimes uh, information out there, we can be really, really hard on people's comments that they do give us. And sometimes I think it is good for us to understand as uh, support people what could be helpful and what could be hurtful. But all also, I do think as grievers, you know, it doesn't hurt to keep in mind that those people are struggling too. And unless it's something that's just totally asinine and mean, you know, yeah. that they're trying. Right. They're trying. Yes, right? yeah. they are. That's why we don't glare. We just kind of go, okay, fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There we go. But I, but I, but I, here we go again. Exactly. You know, the the list of things that people said over the time, right? Right. Uh, And everyone's got one of them uh, or several of them. Um, But I do tell people now when they say when I'm moving on, I I do say, you know, I'm not moving on. Moving on to me means as if this, this is done and I'm moving forward with what was. Yes. You know, that's beautiful. That's it. That's that's what I'm doing. I'm taking it with me because you know, how, how could we just kind of close, you know, close that off somehow as if these, these years of our lives never happened as if all that joy and, and the struggles and everything else that we shared with this person who helped us become the person we are as if it kind of never existed. It's it's not possible. We have to be able to take all of that with us. Yes. And so tell us what that looks like for you now. What's that look like for you these days? Oh, what's that look like now for me? Yeah. Okay. So I, I changed cities uh, because my parents were declining and now I'm going to change cities again. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but this move will not be geared for anybody but me. Uh, mm-hmm. This will be a move where I will, again, be closer to some of the my friends uh, from before, before I had to come and do this stint here in Toronto, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and also into uh, an area which I have thought I wanted to live in for years. Uh, I'm writing my second book, um, and it's going to be... The format, of course, has not been structured yet because it's still, again, short essays, though many of them are longer, of course, than the two or three sentences in this one, mm-hmm. uh, because they're more reflective. Uh, a lot of this stuff in the first book, really, especially the first part, is very emotional. You know, as you know, when I would read it, and we'd, we'd stop, right? Mm-hmm. We're like, right, I remember. Oh, mm-hmm. yes, that's mm-hmm. what it felt like. Um, there's some of that uh, in this one, but it's not nearly as prevalent. Um, and I think in that one, it's it's, it's just it's it, yeah, it's just not as prevalent. But there will be pieces, and I think that's the thing with this this one. You know, the Kirkus review said the book was raw, but it was a good review they gave me, mm. and it's intentionally raw uh, because grief is raw and I think when we talk about some of the things that I'm going to talk about in the second book we need to be honest yeah you know that's one of the gifts that you know originally you lose your filter right you know in the beginning you say things or you do things like you really don't care what anybody else says or thinks because you're just in this really really awful space eventually it comes back to some degree um but it's made me uh certainly bolder having lived through this uh and as a consequence of that, I tend to be more honest, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I, I'm less likely to, you know, we said, yeah, you know, people are meaning well, um,
Yes. But I think there's also, it's helpful if they're meaning well and they're saying something and it's hurtful to kind of explain why maybe that's not the best thing under these circumstances. Mm -hmm. uh, that maybe that person needs, you know, to cut the other person a bit of slack. Right. You know, that's, and people say, I can't believe, you know, and I kind of go, you know what? We don't know what else is going on. Right. Right. Or people you know, get wrapped this up in what's hard. making them comfortable or uncomfortable. That's what they're not realizing mm -hmm. in those situations. It's like, right. I want to feel better. So can't they tell me something that will make me feel better when I hear how Absolutely. they're doing? You know, it's like, Absolutely. You, know, you unpack what, what it is for them that it's like, yeah, you know. Let's try to make yeah. this about the person again, shall we? Yeah, yeah. And and I'm so good with living in a place where things are uncomfortable. I had the gift of working for a think tank that worked on social innovation before all this happened. And um and I learned that it's in the places where we're uncomfortable that the growth comes from. Yeah. And because that's when something's kind of challenging us inside. So yeah. um I, I'm work very hard to be respectful when I, when I realize I'm making people uncomfortable. Um, but at the same time, I, I, I want to help them and overall so that they realize that there's a, there's another way we can do this that will make everybody feel more comfortable. Yeah. Um, and not just the person who's witnessing and is uncomfortable because they're not familiar with grief or dying or whatever it is that's in front of them that's making them uncomfortable. Um, so I'm good to sit in there, you know, to go, mm -hmm. okay, so that's really hard. Um, okay. Or you're, are you angry about this? You know, what, what are the questions? Where, where is this coming from? Mm. Um, but I, I think that's, and that's, you know, that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing, Becky. That's what I'm doing mm -hmm. is this is not necessarily comfortable work that we've chosen to do. It's heart work, work from the heart. Absolutely. Um, and it's very important as such. Um, it is, it requires that we do self-care because it is hard work, uh, but we're doing it because we want everybody to be a little bit more comfortable with the idea that we are going to die and that we are going to grieve and that it's okay. Wow. Well, you have ended on the most beautiful summary there of our work. Thank you so much. And thank you, Heike, for being on the Death Dialogues podcast, project podcast today. I would love for you to share with people where they can get your book, the name of your book, and um, how they can stay connected to you. Okay, great. So the name of my book is, the working title was, Really This is Normal, but I was told I had to put grief in the title. So <laughs> the title now is, Grief is Thoughts on Lost Struggle and New Beginnings. Uh, it's available through uh, Amazon, so worldwide, um, and it sells worldwide, which is quite amazing. I was like, when I see a sale, I go, oh, that's kind of interesting. Um, so I don't know how it's coming, but it's, it's coming. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's available in Canada through Chapters in Indigo and independent bookstores, um, and also uh, through Barnes & Noble in the U.S. It's also available through the publisher, which is Freeze & Press, uh, to connect with me, I am on Facebook. I believe it's Heike Merton's Grief Is. Uh, if you put me in the search, it should come up. It's an Can author page. Can you spell page. your name for them, please? Just for those that may sure. be or, yeah, not looking at something. Yeah. I do this all the time. And it's not just when people are in their car. <laughs> yeah. So Heike is H-E-I-K-E. So H-E-I-K-E. -E, and then Mertens is like Martins, but it's not. It's M-E-R, like Richard, mm -hmm. T like Tom, I, N like Nancy, and S like Sam. Right. And I also have a website. They can preview the book on Google Books. Um, let me see. I have a blog. My blog is called An Eclectic Life. And uh, it's got lots of things on grief in there. And then it's got some other things because I aim to live an eclectic life. Nice. So that's my goal. So, yeah. Well, thank you for taking time and sharing your heart with us today and your work, your, your beautiful book. And 
um, I really encourage our listeners to get their hands on it. I, I think it's, uh, it's presented beautifully. Thank you so much for sending me the copy. I love it. Yeah. Um, it's way better when you have it in your hands, right? It is, is especially yeah. when you do the flipping back and forth between sections. So yeah, yes, no, yeah. it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. So Good. thank you again. And I, let's keep in touch, shall we? Absolutely. It's been absolutely lovely chatting with you, Becky. Thank you so much. My heart is happy to have done this with you. And, uh, and uh, thank you very much for the work that you're doing and that we're all going to work together on this. I know. That's right. My pleasure. And thank you to the listeners for being with us today. Take care. Great. Take care. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us today. We'd love for you to get further connected with our project. You can find the links in the podcast information. You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take a care and see you next time.